Welcome back to season three of the Product Marketing Experts podcast. I am so excited to have Naiman Khan with me today, the CMO at Zeppelin. Naiman has been at some incredible companies and has a wealth of marketing and product marketing experience at companies like Salesforce and Dropbox. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. That's Clue with a K, the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business. Clue helps you collect, curate, and distribute competitive insights to enable sales and revenue teams to win more deals. Don't just compete, compete to win with Clue. And I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. Naaman, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks for the warm intro. It always sounds like I'm so important with those kind of intros. It's a nice feeling. (laughs) <laughs> we all like to feel good about our CV, I guess, so to speak, but you certainly have a really impressive one. And speaking of that, can you tell me a little bit about your career path and, and how you first became at PMM? Yeah, sure. It started for me at Microsoft, which is sort of the first job I had graduating from school, Toronto, Canada. And I actually started at Microsoft in sales. And sales is where I first encountered this thing called product marketing. And I encountered it at what we would call today an enablement session where I would fly into Seattle, Washington from Toronto. There would be, uh, we called it an airlift back then, but it would be like this big, long, week-long thing where different people would come and essentially like train us us as salespeople, how to go back out to our customer set and pitch these products. And it was a PMM that was speaking to us. And I remember being incredibly impressed with how much knowledge this person had. This person knew the market size and penetration and competitive positioning and knew exactly what other competitors were investing in and knew like, we think the market will grow 3% based upon GDP and all like, they sounded like little economists and they understood licensing. And like, I was just like, wow, like that's, is that a job? Like, that sounds great. How does this person know so much? Um, (laughs) And yeah, that was my first exposure and it was really positive. That's amazing. And I think all of us have really different encounters with product marketing the first time. And it sounds like you ran into the strategist, so to speak, and somebody who really knew a lot about the market that they were in and the competitors and the landscape and everything. And that's really encouraging because it's a seat of strength for the, the overall organization. And so from there, how did you kind of first make your way into product marketing and start building and growing and developing your product marketing career? For me, it was really because I stayed at Microsoft. And it's something I think is one of the real advantages of working at a company that is of that size is you have an opportunity to work in different functions that normally, if you left and looked for that job outside, you probably wouldn't get it. So, you know, as a salesperson, I had been able to make some progress in Toronto with some of our, we called them information worker products. So this is like office and the stuff you would use as a sort of a knowledge worker. And I do developed a pretty good relationship with the product team back in Redmond. And they basically said, hey, like you really know how to sell this stuff. Like you should come and help us scale what you're doing worldwide. And I said, okay, that sounds great. Product marketing sounds like fun. I have no background in it, but let's do this thing. And I moved out to Seattle. I had recently just, you know, gotten married and big go to changes. And it was amazing. Like here I was, this kid from Toronto, Canada with an accounting background. I'm sitting with these product marketers from like Harvard and Stanford and all these 
amazing places that I'd really only you know, ever heard about or seen on TV. And that's really where I learned product marketing. I learned, or the beginnings of it, you know, I learned about pricing and packaging. I learned about multi-tier distribution. I learned about what core messaging means. I learned about what's the difference. I didn't even know that copy and messaging were different. I just thought it was all one thing. Like it was just, I was so unqualified for that job, but it was also one of those fire hose learn all of a sudden, you know, you're on what was back then a $4 billion business in revenue annually. So yeah, I mean, it was just an amazing time. And I've been pretty much committed certainly to marketing since then, but I was committed to PMM for many years after that. Amazing. And certainly a company like Microsoft and larger companies can certainly foster a really great product marketing culture. And it's phenomenal that you got the opportunity to join the team and grow within the team there. I'm sure you've had probably a mentor, maybe it was at Microsoft or elsewhere in your kind of journey as a marketer or even product marketer. And one question I'm asking everyone this season is what's one thing that a mentor has taught you or has served you well in your career that they've taught you? I think for me, it's been this 80-20 rule. And what this means is when you take on a new role, what I've been coached to do and something I'm a big believer in is making sure that the role you're taking on, 80% of it, you can just do like on day one. You have depth and specialty in it. Doesn't mean you are a subject matter expert on absolutely everything. But if there are 10 bullet points on a job description, you should feel pretty great about eight of them. Now, the last two can be development areas where like, I haven't really done that. I kind of know of it. I may know the questions to ask. I'm happy to take that on as a growth area. But this 80-20 rule, I think, is code for play to your strengths and take on roles where you're managing your ambition with, hey, like, I want to make sure I deliver in addition to learn. I think when that ratio is flipped a little too much, if it gets to 50-50 or I don't know, even 2080. I mean, I guess that's a thing. You could probably do that. You could be focused on learning and maybe it could work. I think if you ask me, my version of the movie would be play to your strengths, always take on a measured amount to stretch. And the main reason is like, once you start a new role, those first three months are really where your kind of interview starts. That's where people will start to see you in meetings. And what you want people to say is, wow, like I can see why we hired that person. Like they totally are the right person for this role. Like they're bringing a lot of leadership and confidence and they're taking us in the right direction. And what you don't want is people to say, gosh, like it feels like they're still learning. And I suppose both could work. But if you were to ask me for my advice, I would say manage that ambition of yours, like with a, a very rational play to your strengths, know what your strengths are. Even that I think is not obvious what your strengths are. It takes quite a bit of introspection and a little bit of coaching and guidance from people who care about your career. And then like find roles where you can really land those strengths and really have a massive impact and also take on a measured amount of learning and growth. And then I think what you'll find is because you're adding a ton of impact because you're set up to succeed in a role that plays to your strengths, like career options and all these other things really just open up to you. I think it's where you kind of take on too much of a learning stretchy thing and you kind of co-mingle it with this ambitious, like I can do anything, I put my head to it. Like, I think that can get a, that's like a bit of a slippery slope. For sure. I totally agree. If you if you simply aim for the title or the salary or the trimming, so to speak, that, that come with those things, that can totally be a really slippery slope. But I love the 80-20 rule. I haven't actually heard it phrased that way, but it's a great way to ensure that you are consistently pushing yourself and learning and having that, I guess what I would just call growth mindset, right? And consistently just learning while also ensuring that you can solidly do the role that you're actively in as well. I love that. 
Yeah. And if you go back to kind of my first marketing job, like that's an example of where I didn't do that. That's an example of where I was given this product marketing role, completely unqualified. Like, I don't know if that would be what I would want to keep doing. Like that was not the most pleasant year or two, right? Like it worked out, but like that shouldn't be sort of how you operate. Like, I think what I learned from that is, Hey, like the next roles that I take on, like, I really want to make sure I've got a plan for myself instead of sort of like kind of gambling with sort of whether you'll be able to figure this out in real time. Like that's not really for me. For sure. And everyone should take that advice for specifically if you want to, you know, wind up somewhere, you need to be intentional about planning those next steps. And again, it's not about title. It's about what you can learn and those attributes or those skills that are required for the path that you want to take or the journey that you want to go on. Awesome. So as far as your career and starting your career at Microsoft in product marketing or really starting in sales and going over product marketing, I should say, it sounds like you had a lot of development there and you've continued to have a lot of development at some of the really big name companies that I mentioned in the introduction here. I'm curious, like how do you think about the outlook on product marketing now that you especially lead an overall marketing team and organization, Zeppelin? Yeah, sure. I think PMM is like hot right now. <laughs> and the reason I say that is I think demand gen and lead gen was really hot for a while. And I think the pendulum has now come back to PMM. And I have different sort of like signals that help me say that. And I think the reason is that you can really only do demand gen and do paid media and try to do earned and all this great stuff when you know who you are, when you know what to say, when you know how you're different than someone else. And, you know, often like someone will be promoting a product and someone will say, well, isn't that just like Zoom or isn't that just like Hopin or isn't that like, you don't want that. You want to have clarity on who you are. And to do that, you need to understand who your target audience is. You need to understand what their top 10 challenges and pain points are that you address. You need to understand what your competitive differentiation is. Like you need to understand what your core messaging pillars are. You need to understand how to translate those into like copy. You need to have tone and voice and you need to be consistent. And like, you need to have a messaging house and like all this stuff, like you can't just like wing it. I guess if you wing it, you could probably remove your company's logo and put on someone else's and it probably wouldn't matter. So I think people in the industry are realizing that like demand gen is very important, but you want to have the PMM engine in place. That's when you can optimize the benefits of demand gen. And that's certainly what I see in the market. I see that like PMM is you know, really in demand. PMM roles are very hard to fill. It's very hard to find like really strong PMMs who can do all the things that I just said that sound really simple, but are totally not simple. And I think the market is just like more and more maturing. I, and maybe my final like little editorial is I, I think demand gen was really hard for a while because you could associate revenue to it to some degree with attribution or like some other models. And so it was data-driven marketing and like revenue and leads and it's all great. PMM has always been really hard, right? Like how do you attribute revenue to naming a feature? Like how does one do that? <laughs> I'm sure there's some piece of tech out there, some MarTech that'll let you do it. But like, if you want my opinion, like at a certain point, you just have to like, if you get over indexed on measuring, then it's not interesting to me anymore. Like there are certain things that I just don't think you should worry about measuring. Like how do you measure the sentiment you have towards your favorite brand? Like how do I measure? I guess you could do a survey, sure. And surveys are important, but I just think that the market now really recognizes the power of PMM, the power of working with the product team, doing feature tiering, doing launch tiering, like doing all that inbound stuff that, yeah, you can't throw a revenue number at it. But when things slow down and the leads aren't coming in, the very first question someone will ask is, well, who do we target? And what are their needs? And then guess what? PMM has to solve for those really critical foundational things. 
Totally agree. Yeah. Product marketing, especially in early stage companies really is like, I think just so critical in that product market fit component, right? And understanding who your true customers are and who the best customers potentially are that, that maybe you're not even serving today. And that has to come before demand gen. It's not to say demand gen isn't important. You know, both product marketing and demand gen are critically important to an organization, but I totally agree with you. The pendulum has certainly swung and it's nice to, to see, and it is difficult to measure product marketing, but a lot of the best product marketers, at least that I've talked with, are able to truly move in an organization strategically forward in big ways, as you've mentioned. And it's really hard to measure from a kind of a dollars and cents perspective, but, but the whole organization feels it. Yeah, totally. And like, you may want to edit this out, but like, it always reminds me of this, you know, I'm a marketer, so I'll give you an analogy. Like there was this wonderful movie I saw as a kid. Okay. It was called, I think, Dead Poet Society with like Robin Williams. And I mentioned only because it's basically the same thing we're talking about. There was, in this movie, these students are taking, I think, like a poetry class. And there was this lesson they were learning on like how to measure if a poem is amazing. And on the x-axis, you measure how brilliant it is. And on the y-axis, you measure how something else it is. And then you plot the excellence of a poem. And I kind of feel like that's what people try to do with like product marketing or brand or like some of these other things, which you know when it's good, you know when it's helping you. But if you try to go ahead and like put a revenue number on some of these things, like you kind of miss the whole point. And so if you're being thoughtful, maybe take a certain percentage of your marketing budget and put it towards these sorts of things that you may want to ask your stakeholders like, hey, I'm going to take X percent, 15, 20%, whatever it is. And we're going to invest in brand. We're going to invest in PMM. We're going to do all these things. And I'm not going to be able to attribute revenue to it. Are you comfortable with that? Like, I think if you can do that, then you get away from like this Poet Society movie, silly example, where like, if you had to plot that on an X y-axis or do something unnatural i just don't think you'll be able to like justify it like some things you just kind of have to kind of not worry about that way <laughs> love that example been, been a long time since i've seen that movie uh, <laughs> but a great movie nonetheless and love the analogy i one of the very first things i did when i came into my current company and kind of met the team and got really ingrained with the team i should say i, I felt like i needed to kind of reshift or maybe i should say recenter the what like great product marketing is and so one of the things we started doing every team meeting was and it rotated around from person to person but we picked a great piece of product marketing that we loved from sometimes it was a competitor sometimes it was somebody else in the market or whomever it might've been. And we all like talked about it. And, and it was a great way for us to really like talk about what really makes great product marketing, right? And granted that was just amongst the product marketing team, but to your point, it instilled this sense of value and understanding about what we do provide to the organization. And since then, like it's only kind of grown and continuously grown and evolved. So it's great to hear that. And I love your analogy. <laughs> it's an old movie. So a lot of people may not have seen it. <laughs> for sure. So, I mean, as far as the journey that you've taken and really the outlook on the career, as you think about like developing your career, how do you think around effectively building your own career? How do you think about as an individual, how do I kind of plan out these steps? You've obviously done a remarkable job at growing your own career. How do you personally think about developing your product marketing career or your overall career? Well, it's very kind of you to say, thank you. I guess everyone has a different model. I don't know if mine is the best one, but I'll tell you what it is. I think for me, I have never really been focused on reaching a certain level of responsibility or title or anything like that by like a certain age. 
I was at a very early stage in my career and it didn't work for me. It really backfired. I remember I was at Microsoft. And there was this thing at Microsoft where like you wanted to get to director level at Microsoft and it was like level 65 back then, I think we called it. And we used to have a nickname for it. We used to call it the drive to 65. Like everyone wanted to kind of be there in my cohort that started with me and I wasn't there. And I remember all of my peers that had started with me were all there. I hadn't got there. I felt like the last person on earth and I got put up once and I didn't make it. And I remember I just like didn't get off the couch all weekend. I was like devastated. I thought the earth had ended. Like I'm going to be a year behind. Like that's the way I thought early on. And I think that's like a very common sort of way of looking at your career. And I think from those early days, like it's been a while since then, I don't think of it that way at all. And, and I think I've learned that the hard way. I think of increasing in scope and responsibility and all those things. There are two sides to those things. It's not all glamorous at all. But aside from that, I look at those as really side effects of having a very different goal. Your goal shouldn't to be at a certain thing by a certain age or anything. Like, I think that's incorrect. I think like what you should really focus on is, hey, like, what is it that I'm really good at? What is it that I'm really interested in? What is it that I want to grow in? Let me seek out roles that allow me to maximize the impact I can have while learning at an appropriate rate, while hopefully I'm having a ton of fun working with people that I like in a space that like energizes me. If you can do that, you are now in like a very small percent of kind of marketer who is like really in the right role, is enjoying what they're doing, like playing to their strengths, having a ton of impact. Like that's not everyone can say that. And if you are like, guess what will happen? Opportunities will open up to you. Like things will happen for you. But if you focus on the things, it's kind of like a watch pot never boils. If you've kind of heard that expression, you'll probably get frustrated. Your frustration will kind of leak out a little bit. So like the best way to kind of grow and achieve all these other things, which you should have to manage your career ambition, like you should have those things. The best way to achieve those things is to not make them the goal. Like they are achieved by having a very different goal. And the very different goal is, okay, like I'm a PMM. What kind of PMM am I? Am I like a messaging and positioning centric PMM? Am I more about pricing and packaging? Am I more about sales content and enablement? Am I more about like product evangelism? Am I more about working with PR and AR? Like, well, first of all, what is PMM? And of all the things in PMM, like where am I strong? Like, let's start there and kind of right. work on picking roles that either make you go deeper in a certain area where you have a lot of interest or go broader in areas where you have interest. Like, let's focus on that. And let's focus on like having a lot of impact because you're playing your strengths. Let's like have fun. And you would be amazed how you will stand out because the kind of archetype I'm speaking about, like those are actually in the minority. I think like perhaps it's a bit of a leap of faith for someone who doesn't think of it that way, but you'll find that like just sticking to those things, being nice to people, having, treating people the way you want to be treated, you'd be amazed like how far you'll go and just not worry about the things you literally can't control. I totally agree. I, for the first time in my career, and now I'm dating myself a little bit, but uh, for the first time in my career, probably about 10 years ago at this point, the fact that I was really nice and like kind of a good person, I think is the way they phrased it. I showed up on one of my performance reviews and I never in a million years thought that would ever be the case. Keeping that in mind has always served me well and not letting, to your point, like some of that frustration leak out and focusing on the right things are so critically important, especially during this kind of remote first culture where we're 
we're all constantly on video and things of that nature, I feel like it's fairly easy to kind of blur that line, but it's more important than ever. And to be clear, I think it's okay to show real emotion, but doing it in the right ways and developing in the right skill sets is so critically important these days. Yeah, totally. I think you're totally right. So product marketing has started to change quite a bit. And I think actually the broader industry has started to change quite a bit, right? Around things like the emergence of product-led growth. Curious how you think about product marketers developing their career around some of these changing trends in the broader market. It it doesn't have to specifically be product-led growth. I'm just curious, like there are a lot of trends in how companies are changing. So we'd love to hear like how you're thinking about that. Yeah, sure. It's a great question. So if the goal is to develop your career, there are probably three components to it that I would give you some input on. I think the very first one is have clarity on the competencies that you have and the competencies you want to develop. And so it's really about definition. So if you want to grow in PMM, well, what does PMM mean to you? What are the components of PMM? And I actually, I think I did like an AMA with Sharebird on my view on the 12 competencies of PMM. That's something that I put together for myself, like way, way back, just for me to help understand like, hey, if I want to be a great PMM, like what are the competencies within this area that I need to be really great in? So just getting clarity on like, what are these things like, and then that can inform your plan, right? You can say, Hey, like I want to lead a PMM shop one day in the future. Sure. And so what I really want to do is I want to make sure I understand how to do sales enablement. If I had an hour with the worldwide sales team, I need to know how to structure that hour. I need to know like how to measure sales proficiency. I need to know like how to do attribution of sales content to sales stage two pipeline. And like, so competencies is like number one. Number two would be absolutely make sure that you're taking a look at how the market is evolving. Your input on PLG is like spot on. I actually think sales enablement is going to morph into product-led growth or PQL pretty soon. Like I think the days of like a bunch of sales leaders coming in and you kind of telling them how to sell something the way it started for me at Microsoft, like many years ago, I think those days are going to go away. Like, I think it's really going to be about end user trying a great product that they get for free, or they get a little prompt, inviting them to try something that they clearly would benefit from based on their current usage behavior, the user using that. And that at some stage, a salesperson helping them with assisting to, you know, acquire that product or something. So as a PMM, like you want to stay up to date, at least on those trends, and you can decide if you want to be part of that. So that's number two, just be aware of kind of the market changes, particularly on the go-to-market side, product-led growth is is absolutely one of them. And there are other things too, right? Like the fact that there's a huge investment in content and kind of building organic community, like using paid very strategically, not just kind of spraying money around. Like these are all trends that as a marketer, like you want to be aware of. That's the second thing. And then the third thing about developing your career is just to have great uh, advisors and mentors. This is really not something I think you should just do alone. I think like a lot of these things speak to someone who's managed their career, maybe is in a role that you would love to be in one day. Someone you can just be very honest about. Sometimes it's good just to have like a venting mechanism where you can say, wow, it's been like a tough year with COVID and like, I don't know. And like, I've been doing this thing. And like a lot of these release valve things are really, really healthy. I think like a lot of managing your career is also managing your ambition level. I've kind of mentioned that before that I think sometimes you have a really ambitious ambition or whatever, and that's fantastic. And the age we live live in, like, it's just incredible. There are people who are like 18 years old and doing all kinds of stuff. And so it can be very stressful if you don't manage that ambition level you have. And I think like having advisors that can kind of help you set the right expectations, kind of like help you how to think about things. And if you ever have any up and down moments, 
don't just go at it alone, right? There's no need for that. And so invest in having that network. I find that just having groups of people to talk to is like 50% of the battle. Like I think if, if you try to just go at it alone and live in your head too much, I think it can just be harder than it needs to be. 100% agree. Yeah. Finding those peers or those mentors, as, as you mentioned, is, is so critically important and being able to really bounce ideas or bounce thoughts or even just vent it, as you mentioned, is just so, it's a release and, and it's it's so important these days, especially as we all are naturally kind of working remotely in many cases and run into far different scenarios and frustrations and different things like that. Yeah. I mean, we're all human. And so of course, with work pressure, you layer on this sort of pandemic challenge we've all had to like adapt to, like there's only so much you can sort of handle. That's why I think it's important just to be kind to yourself. No one has to be like a superhero here. Just like take things one step at a time. If you're having frustration about something or angst about something, there are ways to kind of release that and kind of get past it. So I think it's really, really healthy to just know that going in and not like let it fester. For sure. So as you've developed your career, and I'm curious, like, how have you made that transition and, and adapt from kind of individual product marketer responsible for projects or different things to product marketing leader? I see. Well, not the nitpick, but I don't know if leader is the same thing. I think you're talking about like being an individual contributor and then being a group manager or like a team lead type yeah. person. Yep, exactly. But I, I, like leadership to me is gosh, like you can be an individual contributor and be a stellar leader. 100%. <laughs> being, being a people manager doesn't like kind of necessarily make you a leader, unfortunately. But if you ask me like how that transition happened, for me, it happened really because I began to develop a center of specialty in something. I had done it long enough. I had a level of confidence when it came to that thing. It was essentially content creation and sales enablement. Like I had done content creation and sales enablement. I had a pretty strong opinion on how to do it. It had always worked for me. I was pretty confident about it. I had done it at a couple of companies and that just led to more and more interesting opportunities. And so like when I joined Salesforce, I didn't apply to Salesforce. I was living life and kind of happy where I was, but somehow some of the enablement stuff that I had done, people at, at Salesforce had heard about it and the community is pretty small in the marketing community actually within B2B SaaS. And so people will say, oh, you should go talk to this person. Like they've done great stuff here. And then I ended up joining Salesforce and working on the sales cloud business, which is the big CRM product, obviously at Salesforce and working with our enterprise sales team on content enablement and building out like a data-driven content and enablement program, which actually is like the precursor to like PQLs now. But that happened because like I had a level of depth in something and we have a level of depth in something you are much more likely and you can lead others. You're much more likely to be given the opportunity and the challenge of scaling that. And that's exactly how these opportunities arise. I wouldn't say I went out and applied for that. I wasn't trying to do that. You end up getting tapped on the shoulder because as I said, like I find that for these types of roles, it's not like there's an entire community of people you can pick and choose from. Like it's hard to find people to run, let's say sales and enablement for a multi-billion dollar B2B SaaS business like sales cloud. It's very hard. There aren't hundreds of those people. And so if you develop strength and depth in a certain area or a couple of areas based on your competencies, you would be amazed at like how in demand you'll become. So yeah, I would say that was sort of how it happened, right? I just kind of was enjoying what I was doing. I was keeping my head down. I was having a lot of fun. And it's just amazing how when you don't like watch the pot, it tends to boil really fast. And that's absolutely been my learning over and over again. I would say probably in the past 10 years, I would say that's always worked. And I think it will continue to work. I, I just think that's the best way to grow your career. Totally agree. 
Yeah. And it's a repeatable process that has worked exceptionally well for clearly you, but so many phenomenal companies, all the ones you've been at and, and so many others as well. And what about the kind of next jump, I guess, so to speak? I think a lot of people have historically thought about product marketing as getting to being the, the manager or leader of the product marketing department or function. And now we're clearly seeing that uh, kind of breakdown and folks certainly like yourself and, and others make that jump to leading the overall marketing team. So curious like how you've thought about that and how you adapted to making that jump to leading the overall marketing function. I see. Well, again, it was not really a goal of mine to like lead an overall marketing function. Like I think I did have a career plan. I think the career plan though was to have a role where it again played to my strengths and then there were areas of growth. So for example, when I joined Dropbox, one of the big things I wanted to do is begin to understand how product-led growth worked and in particular how a marketing org could support product-led growth. Like how could we inform the growth experiments that the product-led growth team were doing? How could we work on actual PQLs? How could we take this horizontal horizontal product and do lots of interesting kind of sales plays. Like these are all areas to grow. And, you know, that led to taking on things like an additional events team and then taking on like all these other pieces. And as you grow and you kind of are responsible for more, you end up learning more. And it becomes like this natural thing where at a certain point I had a choice of taking a role, which was like more in PMM, or I had all of these other opportunities, thankfully, to work on marketing overall. And it's because I had all of these pieces, right? Like I had content sales and enablement, I had pricing and licensing. I had like a bunch of demand gen that had actually done when I was at Autodesk. And then I had like a little bit of brand and comms that I had done here. And like, you kind of take all this stuff and you're like, wow, I'm like, I'm ready to take this other thing on. And it fits the 80-20 rule. Like 80% of this, I feel pretty comfortable with. And so I, I think that the learning for me is like, I didn't have a goal to lead all of marketing like five years ago or to do it at a certain point. Like it just wasn't a goal for me. Like, I think it's great if you're able to do that, but I also believe everyone has a own path. And for me, it was like really important that I wanted to like, not just get this role, but I wanted to be in a position where I knew I could do well in it. Like I wanted to keep the role that I got. I wanted to excel at the role that I got. I wanted to like, my goal was like, if I get this role, I want within three or four months, everyone to really understand why I'm the person who has this role. Like I want to instill confidence that I'm the right seat on the bus here. So that was my journey. And I think for me, it's been an enjoyable one because I don't have to sink or swim. Like I'm not about that. I'm sure other people uh, have had those journeys and it's worked out. That's all cool. I, I think for me, it's not about sinking or swimming. Like for me, it's like, you should, you should really be getting into a game where you're set up to win. And then over time you'll see, like, I, I think good things will happen. Completely agree. And curious from your perspective, you've mentioned a few times that you focused on really the skills. Curious if you could maybe just talk a little bit about the skills that you really set as your own goals as you thought about your career, if you're comfortable talking about it, or maybe even some of those ones that you're focused on today, even. Oh, yeah, sure. So like skills, there are like two buckets of them for me. There are functional skills, functional competencies, and then there are core competencies. And so functional competencies are like, if you're a PMM, yeah, there's a whole series of them, right? There's like core audience definition, persona development, messaging and positioning, uh, I don't know, pricing and advocacy and content creation and sales enablement. Like there's a whole list of them. Literally, if you Google PMM skills, you'll, after three or four searches, you'll probably arrive at like a fairly stable list of things. So those are like functional competencies. That's great. I think that's like half the battle though. I think the other half of the battle is core competencies, which is your communication clarity, your ability to work in a multidisciplinary cross cross-functional team, your time management skills, like how you're able to structure things. Like, are you able to set up like a basic workback schedule? Are you able to like keep people updated?
related? Can you run a weekly standup for a launch? Like some of these things are like not even about marketing, right? Like they're really just more about core competencies as a person. Like you could probably throw be nice to others in there if you wanted to. So <laughs> I think like for me, it's been these two things. And you're right. Like I think as you take on more and more scope, it's really quite fascinating how the core competencies become so much more important and not everyone is great at them. You have to work at them. Like how you, at bigger companies, like how you cascade goals, how you help people understand what success looks like, reminding everyone of like what the strategy is. Like be amazed, like in groups that I've worked in, if you ask them, do you know what our strategy is? The results are usually not that great, right? And that really reflects poorly on the manager, right? The team should know what your strategy is, right? Like, did y'all be able to articulate it? Like, if they can't, how do they know how their work fits into it? Like, it just creates like not a good sort of cultural thing. So yeah, I would look at those two buckets. The way that I've tried to optimize those two things is just to have a career plan. I build one every year. I take a hard look at the functional competencies. I grade myself where I think I am. And then I look at the core competencies. I have like a list of like 18 of those. I kind of give myself good, not great or whatever. Like it's a scale of one to three kind of thing. It's not over analyzed. I know it sounds really complicated. It's really not. It's really just like more of a self-discovery thing. And then I look at that and I say, okay, well, for this year, where do I want to develop? And then I make sure that the commitment sheet that I have for the year helps me achieve those things. So for example, if you really want to get into product advocacy, then you should make sure your commitment sheet for the year allows you to do work that helps you work on your product advocacy competency. So maybe at the beginning of the year, you've never presented to the press or analysts, or maybe you've never presented to a sales team. No problem. Maybe let's get you started in getting involved in presenting to the sales team. Maybe you'll do the product demo at sales kickoff this year. Maybe you'll join a sales call and go through like a objection handling one pager. Maybe let's get that baked into your commitment sheet for the year. And then let's build on it. So in Q2, you're doing a little bit more than Q1. In Q3, you're doing a little bit more. And in Q4, let's have you on stage, like doing the launch enablement, right? If that's baked in, then not only are you like delivering on your commitments, but your commitments now mirror the areas you want to develop. That 20% I was speaking about, that's a pretty stellar year, right? If you can pop out of the year with like, hey, at the beginning of the year, I never really evangelized the product or like advocated for the product before. And at the end of the year, I was presenting to 100 salespeople that's pretty amazing. Like, that's great. Like, good for you. And you can build on that as you go forward, right? Like, so it's just, I would guess I'm advocating for like a more active development plan as opposed to the, I'll just kind of let things chips fall where they may. Like, I think you could do that and things could work out, but you could also do it and things may not work out. And so, yeah, just having a career plan, you know, baking it in your commitment sheet, kind of actively looking at it, kind of being honest with yourself about areas of strength, not taking it too intensely, but just doing more than the basics. I think it's just a really healthy habit to get into. I love that. It, clearly it's a habit that I need to do to certainly get better <laughs> at. But, uh, but no, I love the self-reflection. That is something that I actively do. I, I don't quite have the same level of rigor around it as you do, but no, I truly love that. And it's really something that I think we all could probably get better at in taking stock of our skills and ensuring that we are driving forward and focusing on them. It's really a great way of looking at it and really refreshing to hear quite honestly as well. Yeah. And you know, one other little thing, it's amazing how much simpler things are when you write them down. Like in your head, it's so different than when you write skills down and you give yourself a medium, low, medium, high rating. It's amazing. You go through the like high for everything. And then you're like, wait a second, I'm probably not awesome at all of these things. 
and it's just going through that actual exercise of writing things down it just makes them real and i think unless you write them down a lot of it is in your head and that i don't think is like the most objective way to kind of manage your career steps for sure as we think about wrapping up would be curious i'm not quite sure about you but i'm certainly an avid reader and podcast listener for that matter as well curious if there's any books you've read recently or that have truly made an impact on you or your career or even podcasts or just anything else for that matter Oh, sure. Gosh, let's see. Probably there's a couple that I do like as a kind of a PMM-centric marketing leader. I went through a category definition or category creation exercise a couple of years ago, and we were all required actually to read this book called Play Bigger. And I'm not a big fan of kind of these business books, to be honest. The reason I'm calling out Play Bigger here is that it gave a lot of examples of how category definition can really be a differentiator in your go-to-market and just helping people understand the unique problem that you solve, creating a category around it. They have this like blueprint that you build. It's kind of a nice, very light kind of book to read. And it's very topical. So I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with category definition or category creation. It's become super trendy hype thing. No one was doing it. Now it feels like everyone is doing it. But if you're not familiar with it, it's just a, as a PMM, I think it's just a really good book to read because it gives you all of the examples of companies who have done a category creation, like Qualtrics, I think is mentioned a bunch of times and like it's Salesforce is all over there. And so it's just a way of taking the messaging and positioning stuff that PMMs do working with product. And just taking that to a completely different level where now you're messaging, not just the product, but now you're messaging even not even the company, but you're messaging like what you're really about in a longer term differentiated way. What's the kind of the new game that you're representing in the industry? So I think it's just like a useful thing for PMMs is to get more familiar with category definition. And that book tends to be one of the books that people turn to on podcasts and stuff. Like I do listen to a few VC-based podcasts, like Planner Perkins has a really good one. Andreessen obviously has a really good one that some of you may listen to. And what I try to listen to are the other marketing leaders and other operators like COOs and so forth. I get a lot out of that. I think it's because I've joined an earlier stage company now. Just it's fascinating for me to learn how they have invested in things like community early on, how they manage their budget, how they think about like doing paid, like how they think about like launches and doing a couple of tier ones every year versus like smaller launches throughout the year. I find that there's so much wisdom just available now for free, right? Like it's people just share really, really useful stuff. And so I think the VC firms, because they work with so many of these companies that are at this stage, you get like a lot of great wisdom, which I don't think you got like a few years ago, even. I don't think you'd have to download an ebook or something maybe to give you some of this, but now I find it's all out there in the podcast world. So yeah, pick your favorite sort of VC. They all seem to have great podcasts. Go forth. And then the last one is because I work in the product design space now. You know, there are a series of really cool product design podcasts that I listen to. I'm not going to remember their names, but like there aren't so many of them. I find those really fascinating. I think the way product designers and product developers work together is just fascinating. I think they're really like building experiences for all of us to use. And it's just amazing getting uh, under the hood to understand how they do this stuff. They tell really great stories. So yeah, I really, that's sort of what I do when I'm trying to get on the treadmill once in a while is put on one of these product design podcasts and it's always amazing. Oh, and I'll give you one last one. There's just like the really funny one called Smartless that I listen to. It's like these three kind of dudes and like <laughs> they just have interviews with like famous actors and so forth. And it's kind of sarcastic banter that is pretty funny. So that's like a little bonus podcast for you there. 
That's amazing. Well, I certainly have my homework now to check out and I'm looking forward to reading that book. Well, thank you so much for the time and all of your wisdom and insight. It's been a pleasure having you on and Thank you so much for for just your framework around how you think about career development and your knowledge and all of your success has truly been remarkable. So hopefully we can all learn in your footsteps. Wow. Thanks, Jeffrey. Like I'll slip you the 20 bucks later. Like you make me feel really important. <laughs> thanks. It's great. It's great to get all that praise. Uh, I just, if, if people can just like learn from my mistakes, I think that's my main motivation for sharing some of this stuff. And yeah, I think like your career is an amazing thing. It's an asset for you to manage. So if you just put a little bit of effort behind it and be kind to yourself and not try to over-engineer it or like kind of let your ambition take over too much, I think you'll be fine and yeah, do it the right way. Learn from where I went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> for sure well thank you so much again thank you jeffrey take care stay in the know about your competitive landscape with clue share real-time insights across your organization with clue's dynamic battle cards delivered everywhere your sales reps live through integrations with salesforce slack highspot and many more with clue you'll never let your sales team be blindsided by competitors again crush your competition with Clue.